16 minutes after 8 o'clock here on a Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Well, we learned about a unique and uh, interesting um, organization, institution, service in our community uh, just a few days ago. And uh, hence, we invited our two guests who are here this morning to the air to discuss it. Uh, we have um, Dr. David Rossmarin an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and founder and director of the Center for Anxiety. The Center for Anxiety has four locations. We'll outline them for you in a moment. He is a board-certified psychologist, clinical innovator, and prolific researcher who's authored over 50 peer-reviewed publications and 100 abstracts focused on spirituality and mental health. Clinically, Dr. Rosmarin provides behavior therapy for patients presenting with anxiety, psychotic personality disorders while attending to relevant spiritual factors in treatment. His work has received plenty of media attention. He is here this morning. Doctor, welcome to JM in the AM. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. And he is uh, joined by David Braid, who is who was introduced to us as program manager for the Center for Anxiety. David, welcome to you as well. Thank you very much. Good morning. Tell me about the history of the Center for Anxiety. How long has it existed? Well, it's been an eight-year project so far, and uh, I've uh, been living in Boston right. um, since then. Um, was uh, there for a fellowship, and I decided that something's got to be done about uh, Jewish mental health in a very serious way. So you knew you had our community in mind when you founded the institution. That's correct. That I did. Boston. Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Rockland County today. Those are the four. Four locations. And what is it that's unique about our community that would lead someone in the medical field or in the, you know, around the medical field to think that we need a center for anxiety? Well, I get that question a lot. And <laughs> the answer is not that Jews are more anxious than anybody else. Because oh, I can make that <laughs> argument, you know. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, the, the answer is that um, there, is, there are... Uh, many individuals who are providing top-notch therapy in the Jewish community. But we don't find a community. We don't find a place that um, can really service on a broad level the mental health needs of the Jewish community uh, in a big way. We find a lot of individuals who are providing great therapy, like I said, but we don't find a, a group of individuals who know the spiritual and religious factors that are important and uh, can provide top-notch quality care. Because it would sound, based on the way you just described it, that there are certain things about our tradition, about our heritage, about our community orientation, which might lead specifically to situations of anxiety. Well, I think it's twofold. You know, spirituality is a context in which people can have uh, symptoms, they can have concerns. It can make things worse, in other words, as you've alluded to. It can also make things a lot better. Spirituality is a very important resource for people dealing with mental health concerns, whether that's depression or anxiety or things that are more complicated. Um, it's very widely used. A lot of people turn to God, spirituality, when they're in times of distress, and that can make a big difference in terms of the uh, course of their symptoms and their connection in general. And in psychiatry and in psychology, we don't attend to that. We're not, we're not trained to attend to that. We're trained primarily with a secular approach. So not attending to that is, in many cases, a problem. 
in the Jewish community in particular, it's a big problem because it's a part of many people's lives. And and those who are individuals who try to help those who are suffering, I'll use that word, from these issues, they might be able to incorporate because of their own background, you know, some of the things you're talking about. They may be able to guide someone with the spiritual background that you, it sounds like, Correct. you know, require your staff to have. Uh, but yet there's no, that's more of a one-on-one situation. It's not a, what would you call it, a, a vast service provider? How would you refer to it? It's not a movement. Right. It's not a, they're individuals and often they're full. It's very difficult to get into their practices. There isn't. And they have limited time. Limited time, limited resources, and also limited ability to service their patients. Sometimes patients need more intensive services like an IOP or an intensive outpatient program. Um, so to be able to provide higher level service and quality care on a grand scale for a community of millions of people, you need an infrastructure. Mm. Center for Anxiety, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Rockland County, and Boston. We'll talk more about it in detail in terms of exactly where they're located coming up. They have an event happening on Wednesday, December the 6th up in Muncie, New York. It's called Mental Health. What are you eating and what's eating you? And we'll talk about the relationship between eating and, uh, I guess, anxiety in just a minute or so here at JM and the AM. Uh, eating is a big, very big topic, you know, in the Jewish community. I don't know if you're aware of that. Indeed. Do you have anxiety? That's a good question. Um, everybody has some level of anxiety and stress. Because you don't come across as somebody with anxiety. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I've been practicing what I preach. You though. New Englanders have that, I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess so. New Englanders have their own stressors. But uh, people can do can deal with their anxiety. People can deal right. with stress. Managing it is the and manage it and live really productive, happy, wonderful, connected lives. But there are certain strategies that you gotta be doing. And if you're not doing them, then it's gonna be a mess. Right, uh, and those strategies have to become habitual, I guess, because you know otherwise people may just throw up their hands and say it's impossible to deal with it. I mean, it's a process, right? It takes time. 100%, and it's and, a process worth investing in. Right, and time commitment sometimes can be frustrating. Indeed. To say the least. Um, <laughs> The uh, so, all right. So we talked about the the uniqueness of our community. You mentioned a moment ago how spirituality can often help people get out of situations that we're you know alluding to or describing here. And I noticed that that it seems that in I don't know other religious communities, and this may just be as an outsider that I'm that I'm you know hearing that I'm that I'm assuming this. It seems that other religious communities in fact, incorporates spirituality better than we do. That when they turn to the spiritual aspect of their existence or the spiritual aspect of their community, it really changes them into happier, calmer people. And I don't know if that always happens like that in our community. You know what I mean? Are, are there other communities who might be dealing with this better from a spiritual aspect than we are? Yeah, it's a good question. It's really a scientific question, an empirical question. So here's where the researcher in me dons his hat. Um, we've done some cross-cultural, cross-religion research on the way that Jews and non-Jews engage in religious coping. Um, what we found is on the positive side, it's pretty similar yeah. that both Jews and non-Jews engage in um, a process of uh, turning to God, turning to their faith when they're faced with mental despair, when they're faced with difficult life situations, right. and that those are equally helpful. What's interesting, though, is that we found that when people are struggling with their mental health, well, struggling with their spirituality, rather, mm. a spiritual struggle, that's much more normative within the Jewish community than among non-Jews. Why? So Do we know why? I think that 
I have some speculative Is reasons. our spiritual existence much more complicated than other it people's spiritual existence? Uh, we've been, definitely been through a lot over the years, over history. You're just mentioning it. <laughs> That's right. Today is a significant day in, right. in Jewish history. So um, I think that it's more normative for us to struggle because right. of the the life challenges that we've had in terms of history. Also, life is very complicated today. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I think anybody listening is, is, is has in mind one of two things, either the financial burden. I was just going to say tuition. Right, which is, of course, <laughs> you know, the, the number one topic, no matter what you're discussing. And number two, because of the, the way that we, uh, that the majority of the people listening are guided 100% by our religion, right? Essentially, everything we do, if one would think about this, you know, consciously, uh, everything we do on a daily basis is basically 100% guided by religion. What we eat, where we go, how we behave, et cetera, et cetera. And that might be a pressure that, that others don't have when it comes to their spiritual existence. Well, it's a pressure, but it's also a resource because that means that there's always someone to turn to and there's always a way, a spiritual way to frame one's situation in one's life. You would argue then that there was no center for anxiety, no umbrella group that dealt with this for our community till your organization started to exist? Well, that's a good question. There have been public services that are um, in, a bit of, in a bit of a different sector, frankly. We are a private service. Right. That, the ones you're referring to basically under Jewish organizations. That per, type of thing, correct. Right? And those services have done a great job deconstructing stigma in our community. Right. They've provided um, a, a place for people to recognize that there are issues. Um, in terms of providing high uh, very high quality care on a consistent basis to complex patients. I think that's something that we've done uniquely well on a private basis. Right, understood. All right, Dr. David Rossmarin, am I pronouncing that properly? Perfect. He's here uh, with us, Center for Anxiety. As I mentioned, David Braid, the program manager of the uh, Center for Anxiety, joins him this morning. David, good morning again. Um, which was the first of the four? Do we know which was the first of the four of the Centers for Anxiety? That'd be Manhattan. It was Manhattan? That sure. was the first place? I don't know. I don't know why I thought automatically it would be up in Rockland County. I guess because it identifies more. Uh, I rather Brooklyn identifies more with our community. That was number I, two, and that's located on West Fifty Seventh Street. The Brooklyn one is on. Uh, uh, is that the Bedford Avenue? That's correct. Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn, up in Rockland County. They're on Route Fifty Nine and in Boston on Mill Street in Belmont, Massachusetts. That's where you'll find the four centers for anxiety. We mentioned there is an event coming up. On the 6th of December, what are you eating and what's eating you? So now we learn from you that there is a connection between anxious behavior or what seems to be, you know, symptoms of anxiety and our diet. Is that your, is that what you're proposing? It's definitely one piece of it. The reason why we're doing that program up there, we have a new eating disorders specialist who's up in our Rockland County office. Eating disorders are rampant and extremely dangerous. Rampant means what? And I know that's hard to put into numbers, but... Rampant means because you're hearing about it on a daily basis? Like, how, why are you saying it's rampant? They're, it's very widespread. Um, every day? Every day there's someone who's coping with an eating disorder, sure. No, that I get, but I'm saying you're made aware or dealing with at least, you know, a case or two a day? We, well, it's interesting. We, since we took on this, uh, this doctor, mm -hmm. an officer named Dr. Laura Rainey, extremely talented, Harvard-trained uh, eating disorder eating specialist, disorder specialist. That's, that is her specialty, in the Rockland office, since we brought her on staff, um, we've been getting tons of calls because people see that there's an answer. That was another thing I wanted to mention. People call, the, the, the people call in when we provide a solution. It's, the, the base rates are there. Right. They, the, people come out of a network and say, hey, I want help. Can you please assist me 
when the solution is present. And that's really what we're trying to do here is provide real solutions to mental health concerns in the Jewish community. All right. And based on the fact that you've brought her in, there must be then a connection. Again, remember, it's a layperson analyzing this here. There must be then a connection between the prevalence of eating disorders and the prevalence of anxiety and its symptoms in our community. That is definitely true. They are certainly comorbid. A lot of people who have have eating disorders also have comorbid anxiety and depression. And I was just going to say, well. can you separate the two? Anxiety. I mean, again, clinically, does one separate the two? Or are they anxiety and eating and depression and depression? Yeah. Sure, those would be three different things. Sometimes people come in and they're t- depressed and they're not anxious. Really? Some, sure. Um, it's uh, not entirely common, right, but, but it's it, not uncommon. It, it's not uncommon. Um, and same thing with anxiety. Sometimes people come in and they're just anxious, and mm-hmm. but they're happy, but they are dealing with anxiety, too much anxiety and stress on a daily basis. Right. How do we know? <laughs> I'll tell you, some of these things sound, uh, seem so abstract to me. How does one know if they are suffering from anxiety and not just, you know, at a very high energy level of dealing with life? Well, speaking to a radio host, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of things. If it's impeding your ability to function day to day, if it's impeding your enjoyment of life, if it's getting in the way. Um, Can't get out of bed. Well, can't get out of bed is definitely a sign. But right. I would say even before then, if it's um, getting in the way of your relationships, are you finding yourself tense on a date with the, uh, with the spouse? Are you finding yourself um, getting edgy when you're home and you're spending time with your kids? Losing patience. Yeah, losing patience. Are you finding yourself making poor decisions at work and sending an email before right. you end up regretting afterwards, before you should have sent it, should have looked it over? Um, do you have time for things like exercise in your life? How's your diet? You know, there are a lot of basic questions that we would ask somebody. Can diet and exercise rid someone of, anxi- of anxiety symptoms? They can make a massive difference. A person exercising in a serious way four or five times a week can make a huge difference for anxiety, but not for everybody. Right. So it's not a panacea. You know, it's not prevalent in our community, exercising. That I'm aware. <laughs> you don't have a gym in each of these four locations, do We've you? Thought about it. It's actually not a bad idea, you know. <laughs> think about a treadmill. I mean, my gosh, if people only realize the benefits of more physical activity, and it doesn't necessarily take a gym, you know, long walks is also a pretty good, uh, a yeah. pretty good way to uh, deal with these things. I'm from Boston, so it's going to be running or jogging. <laughs> right. if you're talking to me, but, uh, Understood. Uh, the event on Wednesday, December 6th, is happening up on Route 59 in Suffern, New York. It's the Rockland County base of the Center for Anxiety. Uh, mental health, what are you eating and what's eating you? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Laura Vranny for an interactive workshop on the challenges of holiday stress and healthy eating. Um, it is a women-only event, we should mention, right? The yes. women-only event for information. The uh, Center for Anxiety has a website, centerforanxiety.org. I assume all four locations are on that site, right? Sure. Plus is a phone number, 1-888-837-7473. That's 888-837-7473. We have both uh, Dr. Ross Marin and David Braid in our studio here this morning at JM and the AM. And we should go through some of the things that are, that are constantly uh, uh, happening courtesy of your four locations. Um, so we mentioned December 6th, obviously. On December 20th, there's going to be a panel uh, session on the topic of mental health and the gap year in Israel. That's an interesting one. Cool. Is there a, a correlation? A correlation? You mean people who go to are, are Israel? You, are you seeing, yeah, are you seeing 
more cases or situations than one might one might think about those who've spent 10 months in Israel are now returning? I was just going to say, going to Israel is not the problem. Right. It's the return. It's it's always on An the... An adjustment? Is, the is, adjustment coming home can be extremely challenging. And 19-year-old kids can cause... Certifiable, symptoms. diagnosable anxiety disorders, depression, and more. No question. Do we know why that is? Um, it's a big ch- cultural shift. Sometimes there are religious growth that happens, and then they have to as- assemble that into a family structure when they come home. Sometimes there's tensions around that. Also, just starting college. A lot of people starting a place, even a place like like uh, Yeshiva University or Stern, that's going to provide a-, a lot of support, and they do a very good job at it. There's still going to be an adjustment to living in New York versus being in Yerushalayim or somewhere else and studying full-time. There's no question. It's a huge challenge. Recurring events uh, that you're in charge of include in your Manhattan office on West 57th Street an OCD support group. Now, this is, frankly, when I was first introduced to you by telephone, I thought this would be the number one topic because, uh, you know, OCD, again, with the the 100% uh, guidance of our tradition and our regulations guiding us on a daily basis, um, I, I can see how OCD becomes a big problem. It's a really interesting question. Um, I've done quite a bit of research on the subject of OCD and religion and spirituality from an empirical lens. And I would expect you to tell me that Orthodox Jews have a larger percentage of OCD situations in their community than any other religious group. You are not the first person to expect that, and you're also not going to be the first person to be wrong. It's not true. Our levels of OCD and anxiety and depression, for that matter, and pretty much everything else, are the exact same that they are in other communities. Hard to believe. It is other co- Other communities do not have you know, candle lighting time when everything must stop, which, right. which hangs over you. Right. Does not have a situation in April where you must rid your house of every crumb. Uh, you know, and of course I could cite another hundred <laughs> examples, but those, but those are two really big classic ones. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> absolutely. I get it. There are a lot of aspects of uh, Orthodox Judaism that look like OCD, but they're not driven by anxiety for most people. By the way, I'm not the only one finding this research. There have been about 25 published empirical studies to date on the subject of OCD and religion. Right. And we do not find that any religious group worldwide has higher levels of actual OCD or anxiety than non-religious groups. The only thing you do find, and this is important, is that when religious people have OCD, their OCD often takes a religious flavor. So you mentioned wet time Shabbos comes in right. and cleaning a house for Pesach. Becomes a big source of anxiety. Exactly. Those become huge areas. Kashras becomes a big right. area. Keeping the kitchen kosher. Right. Um, that can be an area. There are, no, there are other areas Even as well. the way some people daven. 100%. Prayer is, a, prayer is probably the number three uh, OCD, area of OCD that we see at the Center for Anxiety is a repetition of prayer. Right. More common among the men than the women, right. I say. Well, they're doing it with more regularity. Um, and speaking of men and women, that OCD support group is open to both the second Thursday of every month in your Manhattan office. In the Brooklyn office on Bedford Avenue, which is, what neighborhood is that officially? It's in Flatbush, or in, Ma- yeah, Madison technically. But. Uh, there's a lunch and learn that happens the first Tuesday of each month. Uh, is that general with different uh, guest speakers about parenting? Yeah, our uh, our office, our staff are very well trained in what they do. They're also um, scholars, and a lot of them are um, uh, have areas. Everybody has an area of expertise, 
So that is a lunch and learn. People come, they grab a bite to eat, and they learn about an area which is relevant to mental health and how it can impact them and what they can do about it. And you also have an OCD support group there in the Brooklyn office that meets on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We'll give out the uh, web address in just a moment. And up in Rockland County, there's another OCD support group that takes place as well. Uh, Obviously, based on the number of support groups you're providing, we see how prevalent it is in our community. Indeed. And those are free groups, by the way. People can, uh, they just have to tell us that they're coming to RSVP, but uh, there's no cost for those. For those. Uh, do people find these types of treatments expensive? Do insurance companies help out most uh, families who have decent plans? How does yeah. this work? Great question. Um, I don't think people find our program specifically expensive. And the reason why is because we're not, we're not an open uh, pit. I mean, we, uh, what we, we're providing time-limited services that are effective um, such that people don't need ongoing psychotherapy for years. Our timeline is usually weeks and months, wow. not years. So the overall cost is much lower than you would in, see it in other, in other areas. So if someone walks in with a severe OCD problem, within months they can be managed. They well, can be Severe is more complicated. Well, it's also a relative term, right? Within months, if we're not seeing progress, then we either change things around or we refer them to somebody else who can help them. Right. How do you find your personnel? Um, and do you need unique personnel or, you know, those who've been doing one-on-one therapy for years would fit right into your practice? These are great questions. In terms of finding personnel, um, we, um, a lot of people apply for our positions. We have, we have a lot of applicants and uh, there are a lot of people looking for jobs within a network that can provide them with um, professional development, with opportunities to see great patients, with training, we train our staff, we're involved with them, we have didactics, we have a, a course every single, uh, every week, we have meetings um, to review cases, we're collaborative, people um, transfer cases to each other often because um, to change things up, sometimes we'll have an, a senior clinician consult on a case so that a junior clinician can continue to do their work. Mm. So we have all sorts of innovative ways of engaging our staff with each other and with the patients in order to increase patient care and our, our staff love that. I was not aware of, for instance, OCD support groups in our community until I was made aware of your center. And I'm wondering if there are people in our community who would prefer and gravitate toward a group setting more than the one-on-one. Often in our community especially, one might think the one-on-one is going to be more attractive for obvious reasons, confidentiality, who you might meet, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder if there are people in our community who would prefer the group setting and feel more comfortable addressing their problem at first in that area, in that type of atmosphere, than doing the one-on-one? It's a great question. I actually asked that a couple years ago, and we did a study about it. I was surprised myself that the results of that study indicated that people from the community were equally likely to want group as well as individual therapy. So it's 50-50. That's what I found. But in practice, in our programs, we have found that people are more likely to want individual than group therapy. Mm. Those are the calls that we get. Why the disparity? I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, All right. Uh, Everybody out there, uh, if you want any information about all of this, there is a uh, web address, centerforanxiety.org. And... um, David Braid, let's get you in on the conversation. People go to the website. What can they find? What type of information will they find there? So our website has a lot of information, detailed information. A lot of our community events are posted there, as well as a phone number, sign-up uh, scheduling, as well as information and bios about all of our therapists. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume the staff is outlined there for everyone to learn. 100%. We have about them. 25 therapists across, or staff members across, the four locations, the three main locations in New York are really the ones 
um, that we focus on. The Boston is really relegated. Dr. Osman and his Harvard staff up there, as well as the research that goes up there. But our, our three main locations are really Manhattan, Flatbush, and Muncie, which is the three that you alluded to. Right. And any and, information... And if, and if you follow the growth of the Jewish community, soon you'll be in Lakewood, I guess, since since tens of thousands of people continue to move to that area. <laughs> True. We don't want to give away any, any right. new expansion plans. I was just but, guessing, uh, don't worry. <laughs> definitely on the radar. But there's plenty of people down there that do top quality care. We really are focusing on areas where we feel... And we're Rabunum and and Askanum asking to ask us to come in and feel and fill a dearth of care that's in their community. Um, probably, just, probably nothing more important to members of the community than to have the rabbinical endorsements. I didn't even ask you about that, but I assume there are a lot of rabbis who are enthusiastic about your work. Sure, that yeah. was the reason we started in the first place. Right. Actually, so. pretty cool. Yeah, so our website has a lot of detailed information. Also, it's not just about um, treating people when it's too late. There's a lot of information and awareness and educational information on the website as well, as well as um, information to help people that are around others that have issues or things that are going on in their lives, strategies and coaching information that allows them to be uh, more sensitive to their needs. Um, and we like to say that, you know, we align ourselves with the dentist, that we want to catch the cavity before you need a root canal. That A lot of time, preventative care is really the most effective and we see the greatest benefits before it's um, too late. Just like you take care of your physical health, right. your mental health is just as, or if not more important, than um, than taking care of your of exercising and your diet and stuff like that. They go hand in hand, but we 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 like to push people to at least see someone on an annual basis or semi-annual basis. Um, we actually, until the end of the year, we're providing a free initial 30-minute consult for listeners of. Uh, the Nachum Siegel Network. If you call in and you mention this radio interview, we're Thank actually going to provide or, that or service. Or if you email. You know, email as well. Contact, contact through the website. Either email info at centerforanxiety.org yeah. or call the 1-800-HOTLINE uh, number that's on our website. Yeah, we'll um, give everyone the number in a moment. But that's something that we want to be out there and provide a service and be of, of um, importance to the community. We really want to build a place where people feel safe and comfortable coming in, discussing or consulting or just respect or just you know, doing some self-reflection or just making sure that everything, that the software is uh, is all all in good shape um, and that they're operating at full capacity and really realizing anything and decision-making their goals that they want to accomplish in life and not letting um, a minor, something that could be taken care of relatively easily in the beginning and letting it grow into something that's too late that hey, would require more extensive. You want to eliminate care. roadblocks and hurdles. That's what it's all about. And the earlier you get to it, the easier it is, right, Doctor? No question. Well, you know the construction here in the city, you know. Yes. <laughs> You'd rather fill the pothole than wait till they close down the street. No question um, about that. So, um, so what is it like for Jewish parents to say that their son is at Harvard Medical School? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of it. Is it, <laughs> a lot is, of parents. Is, is it a source of low anxiety when they're able to tell people? That their son's at Harvard Medical School? I don't know. You have to ask them. <laughs> I'd have to ask them. Huh? I think my parents are decently happy. But... And where did you go to Harvard Medical School as a student? I went there as a fellow, and I stayed mm. on, and then I was doing this research on spirituality and mental health, so they decided to offer me a faculty. And degree. what are they on the list of medical schools in this country? Are they number one in the top three, top ten? What is Harvard generally? Uh, I don't know. I'm very, somewhere, somewhere up there? It's probably up there. I don't right. even look anymore, but I'm very happy to be there, I'll tell you. Yeah, I can imagine. must be very cool. I look at the kosher restaurants up there in Boston. That's true, right? It's, 
and, and, and you, I would guess you meet a lot of Orthodox students who are, who are, we'd be surprised at how many Orthodox students are in the Harvard undergrad and graduate community. Right? Well, in the Harvard system, most right. of them, a lot of them are in the law school. Right. It's a, a good imagine. crew. Yeah. In fact, I recently heard that uh, Base Midrash Gavoa in Lakewood, New Jersey has one of the highest placement rates for the Harvard Law School in the entire, of any quote unquote college in the entire country. How many students could they be sending there? I, there are eight to 10 a year sometimes. No kidding. So you might come across twenty to thirty as you as you Easily. walk around there during the year. Easily. Very interesting. In our yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Dr. David Ross Marin, David Braid. Uh, it is the Center for Anxiety. Uh, they're in Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Rockland County. Uh, everybody out there is invited. Uh, the women in our community are invited to the event Wednesday, December sixth. Obviously, over the next couple of weeks, we'll remind everybody about that. That's the uh, issue of mental health. What are you eating? and what's eating you. Plus, we uh, recommend you check out the recurring events at all of the offices, the OCD support groups, the lunch and learns with skills and strategies for parenting, and all the different community events. Obviously, we'll remind you about them as we get closer and remind you about the ones that take place on a regular basis. The uh, Can I give out the 888 number for the, uh, yeah, the 888 number for the um, event on the 6th and for any information you need, and feel free to use the name Nahum Siegel Network, as our guests mentioned this morning. 1-888-837-7473, And the website, pretty easy to remember, centerforanxiety.org, centerforanxiety.org, worth, worth exploring if any of these issues affect you and your family. Doctor, anything you'd like to add? Well, yeah, a couple things. Sure. Really one of our, one of the things that's a, 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 people don't understand about mental health is that it's not a black box. There are very clear skills that people can learn in order to make better decisions in life, in order to prevent anxiety from becoming completely out of control, and in order to treat it even at severe or moderate levels. And often those do not even involve medication, believe it or not. Very simple strategies that people can do um, in order to change their lives for the better. One of them is facing your fear. What are your fears? Hmm, we got a lot of fears. <laughs> sure. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to turn this into a therapy session. But whatever they are, are you pushing yourself to face them on a, on a regular basis? It doesn't have to be daily, but on a weekly, maybe a monthly basis. Getting out of your comfort zone. You got it. Seems to be the 2017 way to refer to it. That's the new way, I guess, yeah, of saying it. But exactly. it's just, it's an old it's an old uh, way of dealing with the with an old problem of uh, of making ourselves stronger and more resilient and more robust. One of the top strategies in clinical science for dealing with anxiety disorders today is facing your fear. It's called exposure therapy and getting yourself out of your comfort zone and dealing with whatever it is that you got to deal with. Um, that is a, a, a clear skill that's uh, associated with people doing a lot better in life. Nice. Hopefully <laughs> this will help a lot of people in our audience and those out there who would like to explore will check out the Center for Anxiety. Go to centerforanxiety.org, 888-837. 7473. Our guest this morning, Dr. David Ross Marin. He heads the Center for Anxiety at all four of its locations. And David Braid, who's program manager for the entire facility. I thank both of you very much for being here this morning. I know it's not easy with the Boston travel and all that, but a real honor to welcome you here this morning. So thank you very much. Thanks. Well, well worth the trip. I appreciate that. David, thank you as well. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. We'll keep our audience informed. More coming up. It is a Wednesday morning edition of JM and the AM on this Haftet in November.